passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 28 of the Eggshells Podcast Companion. This is an audible companion to Eggshells Pro Wrestling in the Tokyo Dome, a book that goes into deep detail on every single wrestling event that's ever taken place in Japan's most famous stadium. My name's Chris Charlton, and in this podcast, we take a look at a different year in Tokyo Dome history with a different guest each time. <clears throat> this time... Our journey is almost at its end as we look at 2016. And joining me today for this episode is Voices of Wrestling's Joe Lanzer. Chris, uh, thanks for inviting me on. I'm looking forward to uh, breaking down some of these matches. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yep, I've almost completed. I, I think, you know, this is uh, my last stop in Voices of Wrestling land, but I think I've completed my bingo card um, because we've we've had Rich and we had Joe Gagne and we, and we had uh, John Carroll for a couple of episodes. So, um, yeah, happy happy to fill that, that roster out there. Yeah, I I see I'm the one that comes on last. I see that uh, I'm the one yeah. that gets no respect here. So uh, well. I'm, I'm, I'm fired up to outdo the rest of them. To to be fair, yeah, I I mean this was all sorted out months ago. <laughs> you know, you you put your name down for for 2016, um, and it's it's the it's at the point now where you know this. I started recording these these podcasts a few months ago, and um, it became a real stretch to get people to to remember what we hey what were you doing in 1993? What were you doing in 1995? Uh, but uh, now we're we're to the point where you remember it like it was it was almost yesterday because it it almost was yesterday. Um, but uh, what was what was uh, going on in Joe Lance's life in in 2016? Oh my God! Yeah, I mean, a lot of things have changed. <laughs> there were no, uh, you know, I wasn't married. There were no kids in the picture. So um, yeah, I think the biggest change, uh, and I can relate this to uh, wrestling and in particular New Japan, is uh, the days I think of staying up and watching uh, Wrestle Kingdom live as it's happening are are now over. I could do that as a uh, as a single eligible bachelor uh, with nothing else going on. But uh, but these days, yeah, I. I don't I don't I think that like this show we're about to talk about Wrestle Kingdom 10 you know that's that's one of the last ones that I got to watch live so uh I I think that's over with uh a shame but probably yeah probably for the for the better for your for your sleep schedules there Joe but um yes I I know uh that after 28 weeks of of doing this podcast and and getting uh no sold and and cold shouldered uh for our, our weekly dive into the Japanese pop charts um, I know that finally um, Joe Lanz is going to be all up for talking about J-pop uh, and the fact that the, the top single of in Japan in 2016 was uh, AKB48's Tsubasa Wai. way through this one so <laughs> you're on your own no no it's uh yes akb 48 still uh dominating the charts um in that regard it's it's every single time now and uh yeah you, you can't escape that God, what was going on for me in 2016 my second son was born so um i had even even less time in that in that regard uh than i had before but at least Wrestle Kingdom was on during the day for me, so um, you know it's it's an easy, an easier thing to to get to. I I don't know how I would manage if if I was covering or in any way viewed to be an authority on American wrestling because that's just impossible to deal with. Because um, all of those shows, they're they're at decent times actually. You know, the occasional times where I've, I've watched WWE shows, it's sort of like a brunchy, uh, ten a.m. start. For, for here in Japan, but it's it, it'll be like a Sunday pay per view on a work day. So, 
Oh, that's interesting because for mm. people who don't have the context, I mean, right now it's as we record this, it's about twelve thirty in the afternoon, and for you, it's three thirty in the morning. Yes. So it's it's pre- it's pretty wild. It's it's already the uh, the next day, I guess. Right? We're we're yep. speaking from different days. This is like some Back to the Future Kushida stuff that we have going on here. I know, I know exactly. Yes, in in the context to really date this and and show how far in advance we're recording, it's it's the World Tag Leagues opening up today. Um, you're at a, a nice sort of six thirty p.m. my time, and presumably, yeah, in reverse, it'd be about three thirty a.m. for you. So. Um, Yep. So there you go. Um, okay, so let's uh, let's dive into Wrestle Kingdom ten uh, in the Tokyo Dome. I was uh, I was there live, of course. Um, but this becomes a relevant question over over the last you know the last few episodes we're we're covering here was um, how were you watching, Joe? You, you you said you were, you this was the last show you were watching live. Um, but both in terms of at the time and later, what version of this show were you watching? Were you, were you watching in Japanese or were you watching the English commentary lineup here of Kevin Kelly, Matt Stryker and Yoshitatsu? I am a full on old school pro nerd. So I like the authenticity of listening to the Japanese commentary, even though I don't understand a single word of it unless they're blurting something out in English. So um, I'm almost certain I listen to the Japanese commentary now because of the nature of what I do with Voices of Wrestling and for the purposes of the website and the podcast. I always go back and then watch the show with the English commentary as well just so I know what was going on on that side of it too. But live, I always go with the uh, Japanese commentary. Yeah, so this was... um a, a strange point, you know, and I think like it'll come up um, as as we go over this this podcast that you know this was um, you know one of the first few shows that New Japan World were were doing English commentary on, and it was interesting watching it to to see the different points that the Japanese announcers would would pick up and up, up on, and and that the English announcers would pick up on, um, and you know I think you you saw the evolution of Kevin Kelly very quickly across across two shows, but um, yeah, the idea was to have Yoshitatsu in line to to provide some some context and and translation, but but bless him, it was a difficult task, and uh, thus started uh, Steve Carino's legendary Yoshitatsu scale um, for <laughs> for announcing. Um, but uh, yeah, Yoshitatsu doing capably as a wrestler in all Japan, but but maybe not as a, as an announcer in English at least. Yeah, I, I apologize for my dogs uh, blurting out at that, but maybe they were offended by Yoshitatsu's uh, commentary as well. Because look, uh, you know, it, it was just flat out awful, and uh, I'm glad he's doing well for himself now. He's got himself a nice spot in all Japan these days. But oh, my God, was that putrid! I mean, he just didn't seem like. He seemed like he was in good enough spirits. I don't know what the deal was. He just uh, uh, never spoke, and when he did, nothing you know useful was coming out of his mouth. It, it truly was horrendous. Yeah, I mean, I can, I, I really, really can relate because I mean, if it was a thing of, hey, Chris, go and sit out with the Japanese commentary team. I would be like, uh, you know, I mean, I, I can speak Japanese, but like I would be doing announcing in, in a second language would be frightfully difficult, first of all. Um, you know, and, and afterwards he was, uh, he gave a few interviews where it was like going, what, this was kind of fucked up, you know, because um, here I am having to be really, really excited about the semi-main event of Shinsuke Nakamura and AJ Styles. And I, I have to be saying how great AJ Styles is. But, you know, like, he's kind of the reason why I wasn't able to wrestle on this show because, you know, I broke my neck <laughs> taking a stars clash. So it was kind of really, really difficult to do. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I can see how that might be a challenge, you know. Um, yeah, I hadn't thought of that aspect of it. But, yeah, that's that. Yeah, I can totally see where he's coming from with that. But at the same time, I mean, maybe there just wasn't enough clear direction given to him. I don't think he was expected to give full on um, – uh, commentary in the traditional sense i think he was there just to help out like like you like you said with translations and maybe just add a little bit of insight here or there and um i don't know maybe it's just not for everyone and and he just froze up behind the mic i i don't know well uh we're gonna start our look at this show here with uh, the iwgp junior heavyweight championship match and uh, kushida challenging kenny omega um as a, a sort of a very, very different um, 
approach, I guess, really from from Kenny Omega because we're we're at the last true sort of uh, cheesy uh, 1980s action villain Kenny Omega here. We get the, the Terminator entrance for him versus Kushida doing the full Back to the Future stick, including like Doc Brown, Ryusuke Taguchi, um, who like suddenly being there live, it, it didn't catch on for us first of like who's behind this this cosplay. You know, it, it took a little while into the match to realize, oh yeah, that's that's Ryusuke Taguchi like uh, twiddling with a remote control on the on the outside of the ring there for for most of the match. But um, yes, uh, so you uh, nominated the, this match to to look at. Why uh, why did this sort of take your fancy from from the card? Well. Um, the matches I chose, it's it's when I looked. The reason I chose Wrestle Kingdom ten to begin with, and and the reason we're focusing in on the matches that that we chose here, where I really feel like this was a transition show, in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, you had this was the end of, and this match in particular, this was the end of Kenny Omega as a junior. And I had long suspected when they signed him, he even you know made reference to this at his press conference and things like that, that he wasn't going to be long for the junior division. And you got the sense that he was kind of screwing around as a junior and biding his time until the inevitable move up to heavyweight and everything that we've seen since this show, which was uh, the rise up the card into stardom, which actually began the very next day at the New Year Dash show after he lost this match to Kushida, uh, where he, he got the big pin on Nakamura and then uh, basically kicked AJ Styles out of the company by attacking him in the post-match with, with the vicious attack and, and the bullet club turn and all those sorts of things. So his mega push began you know, less than 24 hours after this loss to Kushida. So, uh, yeah, I picked this match because it was kind of a turning point match for Omega. It was it was putting the juniors behind and moving on and ascending up the card to become one of the top stars, not just in the company, but really the world. Yeah, yeah. And uh, really on relatively short notice that that this all sort of came together and, and you know, Kenny told me this for the book that that certainly the the plan for kenny omega coming out of wrestle kingdom uh at first at least was to rematch for kushida again and new beginning um and so he was he was at least going to be a junior for the next couple of months uh were it not for the fact that uh you know we had the the big news on january 5th with with so many people leaving um so yes it, it was uh you know it was kind of a, a real sort of shock to shock to the system there and I, I remember yeah i mean we'll probably get into it later on but um yeah covering that the whole next day was was um a real it, it was a real busy one and the thing is though that ties it nicely back around to to all of us is that um i was still doing japanese audio wrestling for for the lore at, at this point um and we actually had rich on the show the next day um as as our guest to look at wrestle kingdom so uh we wound up oh you know here's rich crate and we did we did our sort of couple of hours looking at wrestle kingdom or whatever and um as as i think you guys know and and so familiar with uh news tends to break as soon as you you stop recording and the and the microphones go off and uh yeah it, it was literally as soon as we finished recording that podcast that that the news had dropped that everybody had, had that shinsuke and, and gallows and anderson and, and stars were all leaving so like, oh well you know that's that's tremendous timing you know as we were talking i think we were talking about oh what, what's what's next for shinsuke nakamura and it was like well okay not not in new japan yeah, only only the biggest story in New Japan over the past half decade broke uh, right after you stopped recording. So yeah, th- that's the uh, bad luck that Brit that Rich brought to your show because that happens to us every week. <laughs> so you just transferred it over to your show at that point. But yeah, I think that the the Exodus um, you know expedited Omega's push obviously and obviously worked out great for him because it got the ball rolling on that. Uh, sooner than later. And and look, I, I was always convinced from day one that it was going to happen at some point. I'm a firm believer that Cream rises to the top, and I think he came to New Japan to be a heavyweight star. And and you could even tell with some of his mannerisms and 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 some of his performances as a junior that it, he just it, it he was going through the motions until it was time to really turn it up as a heavyweight. So yeah, the Exodus for sure um, uh, sped up that process for him. 
Yeah, for sure. And that, but that's not to say that that um, that this stuff was was bad as as a junior heavyweight. And like, I really liked the the Kushida feud uh, in general. And this match, watching it back, was um, you know, it's it's very short. Like, it's it's only about ten minutes long or whatever. But I remembered like the Dominion match, like the prior year, being being really really good. Um, and you know, a lot of dealing with you know the the way that Kenny Maker would, would deal with Kashida's uh, limb work of of doing all of his same sort of power moves just with one arm you know in, in, instead of uh, using both which was uh, you know real signifier as, as you said that this guy is is not going to be a, a junior heavyweight for long because he can take out the 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 junior heavyweight contenders with with one arm basically um so uh, yeah yeah very very much you could, you could tell that that he was going to move up soon but um but still like just a, a different sort of uh, take on on Kenny Omega, and and perhaps a, a little bit more of the the pastel coloured tights Kenny Omega rather than the the black tights main event at Kenny Omega. That would, that would yes, his a lot of his junior stuff was a little goofier, even so much in using the uh, the chainsaw, which he got rid of later on, uh, the deal with the forearm, and some of the other antics that he'd get into as a junior, and, and yeah, he had his you know, great moments as well where he had some great matches. Um, and, and actually I wanted to ask you with the finish of this match, I thought was interesting because Kenny Omega's shoulder is very clearly not pinned to the mat, uh, yeah. for, for the, for the finish. Now, do you believe that was by design? In other words to say, okay, they've got to get the title off this guy and I have to drop this title to Kushida. Okay. My feeling was always, it was, sort of deal where if he's going to be a heavyweight top line star, we can't have him visually defeated by a junior, right? So to me, it was always that shoulder was up intentionally. But I was listening to what you said earlier about Omega telling you that really the expedited push came together the next day. So maybe that isn't the case. And maybe it was, I'm thinking too hard about this and it was just simply a sloppy spot. So What's your take on his shoulder being up at the end of this match? Um, I think, honestly, you know, with a lot of these, I, I don't think that the people are that cute with it sometimes is, is usually my take. So I, I don't know for sure, but I would say probably that was just a problem with, with Kushida's leg positioning there. But, I mean, that said, um, it would have worked out nicely, you know, because um, from your point of view, it was, you know, like you said, because she didn't get the, the clear uh, visible pinfall there. Also, um, if they were to go on that, that extra month, then then Kenny would have had like a, a few extra weeks of complaining to Tokyo Sports and saying, hey, my shoulder wasn't, wasn't down. You could clearly see it on the video or whatever. Um so I think, you know, sometimes things that work out fortuitously well without being too cutely planned. You know? Right, uh, without necessarily being intentional. It's just that Kenny Omega, if anyone, he's the kind of deep thinker who would come up with something like that. True. Which is why that always had my wheels turning <laughs> as to maybe he was, you know, thinking one – he's always seems to be thinking one step ahead with, with, with those sorts of scenarios. But uh, yeah, it, it may have been, like you're saying, just one of those things that ended up being fortuitous anyway, even though it was totally, you know, happenstance in the moment. For sure, yeah. Um, so yes, uh, sort of big, big changes for Kenny Omega over, over 2018 and big changes for, um, Tetsuya Naito had, had gone on over the, the prior year of, of 2015 as, uh, he took on Hiroki Goto here, but like this wasn't really Tetsuya Naito versus Hiroki Goto so much as Hiroki Goto versus Los Incompatibles Day Upon because like it was, it was essentially a handicap match that, that we got here. Yeah, I mean, this was early stage Los Ingobernables Japan, where he's as I botched the pronunciation like I always do. Where <laughs> it's 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 uh, it was, there were more heel tactics going on at this point, and the faction was just starting to come together and all those sorts of things. And again, it's like this was a transition show. It's like Goto uh, wins the match, and then he becomes the the first post Tanahashi feud challenger for Okada, I believe at new beginning. And then, you know, the, I remember with the white paint and the awful match and mm. then, and then he eventually, you know, can't beat him, So he joins them and, and joins uh chaos. And then Naito just takes off from there. And then later in this same year ends up winning the IWGB heavyweight title uh, for the, for the first time. Um, yeah. And it's funny because 
Naito has a lot of these. If you look at Naito's Wrestle Kingdom history, he has a lot of these like singles matches that aren't title matches that mm. he's losing. Like the year before he lost to AJ Styles, which again was similar to the Goto match in that it set up AJ Styles for bigger things moving forward in the year. A couple years before that, he's losing to like Jeff Hardy in just a random match on a Wrestle Kingdom. And then he had the the Kaiji Muto match, I think, was around that time too, I think in 2012, where again, a singles match loss in the Dome for Naito, non-title. It, you know, there was the four or five-year stretch where, where nearly every year he's just losing a, a random third from the top or whatever singles match uh, to someone uh, to set up that person's uh, next six months or whatever the case may be. Um, But I mean, it all worked out for him eventually because this was sort of, uh, you know, the early days of LIJ and then, you know, he wins the title at I think it's Dominion and, and we all know what's happened from there. So again, even for these two guys, much like we talked about with, with Omega, this show was kind of a turning point for both of these guys as well. Yeah, and and sort of Koto goes on to to have his title shot and lose again, and then have to join Okada, and, and just you sort of recounting that reminds me of like my favorite um, tweet, sort of post Wrestle Kingdom, where like uh, this year, you know, when Goto beats Suzuki for the Never Championship, and then Suzuki immediately goes after Tanahashi and immediately wins the Intercontinental title like the same month. Um, and just like, it was, it was a Japanese fan tweeted it and it, and it was just like, so da, 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 Goto lost. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. That, that's basically Goto wins, but Goto also loses when he loses, he loses. Uh, when he wins, he also loses. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I remember the, the, the basic thing of this match and, um, your Naito giving interviews beforehand was like very much sort of tipping his, his hand in, in you know, where this, this match was going to go. We were saying, um, you know, really the match isn't about me beating Goto. It's about, uh, you know, getting Los Ingobernables de Abon on its biggest stage and, and letting people know who, who we are. And that's kind of, you see that, um, you know, because I think a lot of people were sort of watching, uh, LIJ for the first time, perhaps at, at this point in this show, you know, having, you know, they, they'd only been around for a little bit and only as a unit since, uh, December, because it was, uh, Naito and Evil from October through to December. And then Bushi joined, uh, I think just before the, the world tag league, um, that year. Um, so I think that there was a thing of like, okay, who are these people individually and who are, who are they collectively? So that's why you, you have these run-ins where it was really, okay, everybody gets their, their spotlight. So evil's going to do his, his chair thing. And, you know, Bushi is going to get in there and, and try and spray mist at, at Goto and that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that that's where that came from. Um, but even then, I think it was it was interesting listening to the the Japanese announcing at this time, and the, and they're sort of teasing the, like how popular Naito was was about to get, you know, because they're mm. they're saying constantly, oh, they're attacking him before the bell. Um, but you know, they they made a point to say that he wasn't being immoral; he was being amoral. You know, it's like they're, <laughs> they're not breaking the rules so much as um, you know, willfully taking advantage of of a, of a situation with without being truly evil. But um, um, yeah, that, that that's where this came up. But like, it, it did um, remind me that uh, the the I don't know if you remember the Road to Tokyo Dome shows um, before this, but um, this was like my favorite couple of like Korokuen Hall like December shows. Um, you know, because this was the one where where Bushi beat Mascara Dorada um in december for like the the world's weight title at that time um and this was like the pair of shows where like uh yusuke taguchi faced shinsuke nakamura as well um you know because they they were needling each other for the entire fucking year and like you know taguchi taking the piss out of nakamura's um yeah or like poses and, and stuff um, right so yeah it just reminded me of like oh yeah they, they had that really hot match with with bushi and dorada and, and everybody doing the run-ins there where it was just um them being established or whatnot yeah uh, those were those were super fun shows those uh it's always those back-to-back corkins at the end of the year the last two shows of the year yeah those uh, that those were a lot of fun Yes, that, that it's the yeah it, it's always it is um a huge amount of fun and i think probably 
yeah, I, I think this would have, have gone out just after like the, the go home show, but I'm working on the last Korokoin show this year, um, or the plan is at least. Um, so that's, uh, that's going to be really, really fun. But at the same time, like really high pressure. <laughs> like, you're, you're living the uh, dream, brother. Don't be nervous. You're, you're I living know. the dream. It's real. Um, that uh, yeah, I mean, nothing much to the match really. It was it was just a sort of personality piece, I think, for the for the entire Los Ingobernables team, and less so much about Goto. Like Goto wins, but you you don't really remember him. You know, I think it was like that. It was the the New Year's Dash show where it was like, oh yeah, Goto did win last night. You know, right? Without challenging Okada, kind of thing. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. And, and the loss meant nothing uh, to Naito. I mean, they, they had plans for him and they were going to move forward with those. And it was and it obviously all worked out. And, uh, you know, it was it was just a good. Um, but at the same time, it was a it was it was a, a good place to get go to a win to set him up for the temporary angle that they had uh, going over the next couple months, too. It's just weird to me that Naito always seems to be, or during that time period anyway, that three or four year stretch, he always seemed to be in that position when it came time for the Tokyo Dome. Sure. Um, Nakamura and AJ Styles. Um, yeah, this this was uh, the, the sort of big dream match that um, the the sort of Clutched English in the uh, I can't remember what it what it said in the, in the hype video. This this match has not even been once until now um, was I I believe the 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 means that they were using to to sell this match of uh, Nakamura and AJ and um, I mean yeah I mean, obviously the reason why you chose the show and you you chose these matches was um, kind of partly what what happened the next day uh, with these guys. Um, how much of it to you was was a surprise of um, of all the guys leaving and all those names dropping on on January the fifth? I think it stunned everyone um, because it just came together so late. But mm. I I caught something weird watching the the VTR video for this match before I rewatch it. I, AJ Styles talked about how he wanted to win the Intercontinental Title, and then he says because he wanted to quote. I want to take it with me, he says, mm. and help build its stature. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't remember knowing that AJ Styles was leaving the company beforehand, um, but maybe I'm just misremembering. Do you recall whether it was – now, I know we didn't know about Knock at that point, um, and, and but, but was it known before this match took place? Because it seemed to me like Styles was working that into the build. By saying that he was going to take this intercontinental title abroad and raise its profile, those are the sorts of things he was saying, and I was kind of taken aback by that because I don't remember it that way as being part of the build. Um, again, it was yeah, maybe in a sense he he was uh, again sort of tying that into him for himself, but I think the entire theme and you got it with the main event as well um, was that from the company standpoint of like, okay, last year we were on pay-per-view, but this is the year we're really truly pushing international. Um, so I think like there was the, the general, um, <clears throat> sort of feel from the company of like, okay, we're, we're pushing international like through, uh, 2016, 27, 20, 2018 and where, and where we are now. Um, so I think that was probably perhaps, maybe it was a directive or or maybe it was a sense that the guys were getting of okay we we have to hit international um but at the same time for him he was perhaps being a, a little bit cryptic i remember there were rumors going around with with styles um I so maybe like maybe he was work. maybe he yeah. was leaning into the rumors a bit and yeah, yeah yeah perhaps yeah i i think like the the surprise was like timing wise, you know, with, with Styles and Gallows and Anderson, you know, I, I think like there was hints that, okay, these, these guys are going to go at some point. Um, but that they all sort of dropped at the same time. And, and right after Tokyo Dome was, was a surprise. And a lot of people were surprised by Nakamura, but the office knew on that in October. Um, so like that was a thing where the, the company had ample time. It was just like the, the fans were, were taken aback, I think. Um, so yeah yeah and and it was yeah and you got nakamura as well like in his post-match uh comments um where 
you know, they, they ask him, what are you going to do next? And he just says, worldwide, worldwide, you know, and, and so, you know, right. that was kind of a clear hint of what he was going to do. Um, yeah, but I mean, more to the point with with the match itself, uh, Joe, I mean, what do you think about the, the match? Because um, I think this was a match for me that, that stood up better uh, watching it again the next day and then watching it after that. Um, rather than in the moment. Um, because I think I remember particularly at the time, um, this was Nakamura coming off of Ibushi the prior year, which, um, you know, as, as you know, if you listen to the, the last episode that, that, uh, we did on this podcast, um, you know, I said that that match with Nakamura and Ibushi is my favorite match of all time. So I kind of think, uh, you know, at the time I was like, oh, this is, this is a bit of a letdown because of my insane, stupidly ridiculous um, expectations for, for Shinsuke Nakamura. But um, it, it is a, a really good match between these two. Yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a very different match than the Ibushi match. It's more of – it's more visceral than visual, I think, this match. It, it's sort of a slow burn. There's no wasted motion. There's no wasted movement. There's no wasted moves in this match. And it sort of slowly creeps up on you. And I think the whole the, – the gravitas of the haze of the Tokyo Dome and, 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 and the way the, the fans sort of uh, slowly build along with this match because they don't really know what to make of it in the early stages either. And then you know they get into telling their story and then by the end of the match, the crowd is super into it and they realize they're watching something special. And there's just sort of this slow burn – both in the ring and outside the ring when it comes to this match. And then it all comes together perfectly and by the end of it and, – and I totally see what you're saying by catching it on a rewatch or watching it the next day outside of the moment, uh, helping you to appreciate it more because it's really not a match designed to just blow away your senses as it's happening. It, 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 it's kind of like when you watch – a great movie and then the second time you watch it, you pick up on all the little hints they were dropping that you didn't pick up on the first time or you pick up on little subtleties that you didn't pick up on the first watch and you can almost appreciate sometimes a great film even more the second time that you watch it. That's the kind of match that this was and um, I do think that it's, it's, it, it may not have worked anywhere other than the Tokyo Dome. You know, mm. atmosphere and setting are so important to any match and how a match comes off. I'm watching, I'm rewatching this match uh, for the purposes of doing this show with you, and I, and all I can think to myself is knowing what I know now. If they had this same exact match on Friday Night SmackDown next week, or if they had it on a WWE, you know, random pay per view, or even a WrestleMania, it may not. You know, the same match, move for move, may not come off the same way. I don't think you'd get. Uh, you know, the WWE crowds are different. They're designed to pop for signature moves and things of that nature. And this was a different kind of match. It came together slowly. There was a great callback in this match. The year before, AJ Styles defeated Naito with the Styles Clash off the turnbuckles. Okay. Yes. You need that little extra oomph in a big time match at the Dome against a big time opponent. And uh, they, they called back to that in this one, but and and he tried for the same finish, but Nakamura escaped, and uh, and 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 it was just little moments uh, like that, and and it just it, they did a lot of other smart things like that, and and to me, um, it, it was it was a great great match. Uh, I think it's it's a five star match, and um, and I think it's the best match that these two have ever had, especially when they're not you know punching each other in the sack. Like they did about their WWE feud. I mean, uh, you know, it, it's it, this was uh, to me uh, the best match they ever had, and a, and a classic match. Yeah, and uh, you talk about the subtleties. This was one of the things I wanted to bring up with the the different announced teams and and the different points you get with with different language announced teams. Um, I don't if you remember, Joe, like the the story heading up to this match was like people were worried about AJ's back, um, and he sort of started the World Tag League and then had to pull out. With, with some back injury and then he was doing uh, DDP yoga like a madman for her all the way through December and then you know he finally gets in so there was uh, a spot at the start where um, 
Nakamura, the, yeah, Stars was on the top rope and Nakamura yanks him off. So like he, he takes a big uh, back bump and then he sort of rolls out to the outside and it's like, oh, I've, I've done it again. I've done my back in again. And then, you know, he, he was sort of playing a possum and then attacks Nakamura. And um, on the English feed, you know, they're cued into this, you know, so they go, they sort of play up to this huge of like, oh my God, Stars is hurt. It's back again. And, you know, and, and this happened, that happened. Um, and on the Japanese end, you don't get any of that, you know? So that, that was a thing of like, it's, it's really makes a big difference of like maybe who, who's talked to or like just what articles you read, I think like leading up and what research is done or what different directions people do their research heading into, uh, these shows, you know, because, um, knowing firsthand you know that this isn't something the announced teams aren't produced you know it, it's it's very much down to to us and the, and the people that are there um to to do their legwork and and the the legwork being done in in different directions was something that was was interesting here you know because i think like both calls wind up being uh being very good in, in their own right absolutely but uh you know it, it's just interesting to see that the different points that people pick up on yeah, and that stuff is is so important, and and that can take your commentary from good to great uh, if you do pick up on that stuff and you do do your homework. And AJ, you know, like you said, he played possum early with the back, but then Doc just viciously went after the back for for you know the middle portion of the match and eliminated the need to to feign injury because then he you know he legitimately went after it and they told the story of knock wasn't buying that and then he went after it and uh you know styles was going after the calf and then he kept trying to get the uh the calf cutter or the calf slicer calf crusher whatever you want to call it this week um onto knock and and knock had some great reversals of that move and you know like i said he escaped the the uh the styles clash off the turnbuckle and then uh yeah and then and then we hit our finish which was uh and then they did and then the fist bump after which turns out to be even more symbolic with the benefit yes. of hindsight as you know the, they knew they were going to be WWE bros in a couple of weeks you know and and styles finished up the next night but you know people might forget that 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 uh guns and gallows and knock stuck around for a while i mean knock yeah. stuck around another month and and guns and gallows stuck around. I think even a little longer than that, right? Uh, you know, they. they I don't they think they did the on rising shows. I think like so until like February, um, they were about yeah mid February. But yeah, uh, so. I the the one thing that that I did like um, was before as as you're getting towards the the end of the match and like stars does a four fifty, but right before that, um, it was like this is Shinsuke's last last match in the Tokyo Dome. So, you know, he can't have a Tokyo Dome match without doing the, the Ignatia of, I'm going to shoot in, you're going to knee me in the face spot. <laughs> it's yeah, like yeah. Every single Shinsuke Nakamura Tokyo Dome match, like, where we go. it was like one last time for the road of like, yeah, just, just kick me in the face. Um, yeah. And, 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 you know, like you said, with the office knowing this was coming way back in October and with the benefit of hindsight watching these matches and knowing that these guys know what's coming and knowing that we know what's coming next for them, it does add some different layers to these things for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the the main event of this show, uh, Tanahashi versus Okada. Um, finally, they, they, they sort of the, the match that had been built to for really for an, a year, you know, I mean, it was a foregone conclusion at the end of Wrestle Kingdom nine, uh, that they were going to do this again with, with Wrestle Kingdom 10. Um, and, uh, the, the sort of neatly everything, everything racks up, you know, four years in the Tokyo dome between Okada and Tanahashi, which, um, you know, I always think is, is cute because like in, in Japanese narratives, you have a four act structure to, to every story. Um, so it was nice to, to sort of end this, this chapter of Okada and Tanahashi in, in four years. Um, but, uh, going into this at the time, Joe, were you, were you one of the people that were incensed by Okada losing to Tanahashi at Wrestle Kingdom nine or were you kind of like, Oh, th this is, this is all playing up to, to next year in the dome. No, the, the finish the year before shocked me, but it didn't upset me. It just shocked me and it, it kind of got my attention. You know, because we're all cocky and we all think we have it all figured out and, and you know, we, we understand this pro wrestling thing. But then I was like, wow, they're doing something that I hadn't even considered with this story. 
So it surprised me in all the right ways because you had that. I remember watching Wrestle Kingdom 9 and Tanahashi up on that turnbuckle mocking Okada as he's crying and leaving the ring and telling him, Okada, Okada, you can never be the ace and all these things. He's shouting down at him and just having that feeling in my gut of, wow, they got me. (laughs) They fooled me. And that's why we love pro wrestling when it is unpredictable. And it's unpredictable in the right ways, not in a Vince Russo just trying to be unpredictable way in in all of the right ways. And that's what this was. So we head into Wrestle Kingdom 10. And again, just for so many of the people on this show, a turning point, a transition. This was the end of the four-year story arc, like you said. And this was the end of chapter one between these guys. This was the match. I know they've wrestled four times since. I know they wrestled a few months later and had the second of their – uh, G1 Climax time limit draws, which I hope they have 100 more of those because I love the fact that every time they wrestle in the G1 is a draw. Um, but th- th- those four matches that have happened since are our postscript or the next chapter or whatever you want to call it. To me, they're not part of the original four-year story arc. This was the end of that. This was it. This was Okada being too cocky the year before, uh, getting defeated uh, by the true ace. And this was a title match, but it was really more about Okada proving that he could be the ace. And to do that, he finally had to beat this guy, and he had to beat him in this building. And, uh, and, and that was the story they told. And the year before, Tanahashi had just decimated Okada's legs. And, mm. and his strategy was, if he can't stand, then I can pin him. And... Throughout all of the following year, Tanahashi was beating people with that clover leaf on Cork and Hall shows and in the World Tag League. And, and he was just using that damn clover leaf and he was sending a message to Okada I am going to take out your legs again and I am going to beat you with that clover leaf. And they have this match at 10 at Wrestle Kingdom 10. And again, he's working the legs like he did the year before. And. He puts him and, and the, the defining image in this match to me has always been when he locked on that cloverleaf and the crowd just goes insane over this cloverleaf because of the way that Tanahashi had brilliantly set up his entire year for that one spot and they bought into it. And that is what I love about pro wrestling. Realistically, intellectually, nobody believed that Okada is going to tap out to this cloverleaf, right? But in the moment, because of the way Tanahashi so intelligently built it up and, and, and we're wrapped up and we're suspending our disbelief for the match, all of those fans were buying into the idea that this was the end. You know, we, it, it's like it's just so brilliant. And, and, and that's what makes this rival, which to me is the greatest in-ring rivalry of all time in professional wrestling, is, is, is moments like that where you're able to easily suspend your disbelief and get wrapped up in the stories that these two guys told. And in the end – Okada was uh, in an incredible match. They always have incredible matches, but to me, this is one of their best, if not the best. Um, Okada overcomes all. You know, what's also funny about this match is they told the story of two guys who just knew each other so well. And they established it right from the opening moments when Okada backed Tanahashi into the ropes and did the old slap him on the chest spot that he does in in just about all of his matches. Well, Tanahashi uh, ducked that and went for a punch. And Okada had to duck that punch. So right from the jump, they were telling you, okay, these two guys know each other and they're ready to just counter everything that the other guy has. And that was one of the overriding themes of this match too. And then, uh, of course, the famous wrist clutch spot uh, towards the end of the match where Okada's just holding on and symbolically they were telling you, I'm not letting go. I'm, I'm yeah. beating this guy right now. And the, the beautiful zoom in. Uh, by the production team and the cameraman on that wrist clutch. And then uh, he just decimates him uh, with a couple of Rainmakers and the same way that he beat Nakamura with multiple Rainmakers at the G1 final, uh, I guess a year earlier, and, um, and, and put him away. And you knew that that was definitively the end of this chapter of the story. Just a beautiful pro wrestling match and one of my favorite matches of all time. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I agree with everything you said there. I, th- I think like one of the um, interesting or aspects of the, of this match that that ties into to what we're gonna see um, at Wrestle Kingdom thirteen 
with Omega and Tanahashi is that, um, you know, I think a lot of people are very sort of caught up on this aspect of, you know, your, your ideology is, is different than, than mine um, in terms of it being a, a stylistic thing. But um, the, the line that I hone in on with Tanahashi, because I think this is going to be the, the real theme of that match with, with Tanahashi and Omega, is like Tanahashi said, he said it at the press conference and he said it on his podcast as well, um, where he goes like, pro wrestlers, of course, like wrestling is, is violent. It's a violent thing. It's a violent contact uh, sport or whatever. It's, um, it's supposed to be violent. But uh, we as pro wrestlers, we're, we're violent people, but we're not supposed to be cruel. And Kenny Omega is cruel. You know, and like, um, I thought that line was going to be, I think that line is going to be really, really significant um, when it comes to the Tokyo Dome. Is, is this idea of, of who is um, cruel enough to win because like Tanahashi with Okada and like you you said it before with uh decimating the knees and and like that the 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 year prior with the the dragon screw on the floor so it's like I'm not going to allow you to stand you know while I do the high fly flow so you can't stand up while I do the high fly flow you can't roll out the way that's cruel you know I kind of think you know and and you get with Akada um, against Tanahashi here a little bit of the cruelty from Akada that that he was missing before you know because. Um, you see him rein in those those shotgun drop kicks, those those John Woo drop kicks, which um, brings to mind what um, the the match Okada had with Tenryu, with like Tenryu's retirement match in in that November. There was only like a few weeks before this, um, and those things of like Okada doing like these brutal shotgun drop kicks to like a 65 year old man you know and yeah, like yeah. Tenryu just absorbing those and sort of collapsing over backwards. It's like there's like. The, the killer edge and the cruelty that Okada needed to win. And you you put that in sort of stark contrast to Naito with Okada this this year in 2018, where there were a lot of aspects that the mat, the part of that match I remember was um, Okada having Naito in a waist lock. I think he winds up going for a German or it might have been a Rainmaker. I can't remember exactly. Um, but like Naito's reaching for the ropes. He has the ropes. And like Akada's p- trying to pull him away, and like Naito lets go in the end, and and takes that that German or, t- or takes that that Rainmaker, um, and so the the real thing of like Akada will not let go, but like Naito did in in that match, um, whereas right. with Akada with Tanahashi, as he said, like Akada doesn't let go, and Akada has that that cruelty and that that killer instinct that the Naito didn't have, you know, when Naito was going for the Stardust Press and, and trying to play to the crowd. You know, you, you need to be like kind of an evil bastard to win in the Tokyo Dome. And I think that's going to be the, the real theme of, of Tanahashi and Okada at, at Wrestle Kingdom 13 as well. Yeah, I, I agree. Tanahashi is just he's he's just a brilliant long term storyteller. And, um, you know, he's one of my favorite wrestlers ever to watch. Uh, especially when he's engaged in a long-term feud like the, this Okada one, which is really, you know, going to define both men's careers. I think, then um, I don't think that's much of a controversial statement. And 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 yeah, it's it's I, I agree with you in that that sort of stuff. And, and Omega too is another guy who, in different ways, is is just a brilliant uh, person when it comes to putting together wrestling matches. So I I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. So uh, yeah, absolutely. I think um, for everything they they intended to do the, with this match, it was a perfectly wrestled match, and I think like that that speaks to every pretty much every match that that they had um, together. But uh, yeah, that that brings us to the end of, of Wrestle Kingdom ten and twenty sixteen. Um, next time on this podcast, our penultimate episode, we'll be looking at at twenty seventeen, which featured Joe two shows. In the Tokyo Dome for the first time in uh, goodness knows knows how long because we had of course uh, Wrestle Kingdom and we also had the Minoru Suzuki and Shin and Sanjiro Takagi empty arena match in the Tokyo Dome. Wow, are you doing a uh, a separate show for that, or are you lumping them in the one show? How are you handling uh, that? We're we're lumping that into into one show, but um, you know I need, I need a little bit of help as as we're going to look at, at DDT. So I'm going to be bringing along DDT Superfan and uh, General Authority uh, Michelle of the the Professor Kaiwa uh, Twitter account. She's she's going to be joining us uh, to take a look at that. 
Um, in the meantime, Joe, thanks thanks for hopping on. This will probably be going out um, maybe Christmas time, maybe just after Christmas. I'm not, not exactly sure on on post wrestling. So, uh, what's going on in uh, in Voices Wrestling Land at, at around that time? Oh man, I, it's time for the plugs, huh? Um, by that time, I think we'll be ready to uh, our, our, of course, New Japan Pro Wrestling Year in Review, the book that we put out every year. Uh, we'll be putting on the finishing touches for that. So by the time you listen to this, if that book isn't out yet, it will be coming around the corner. We try to get it out right around Wrestle Kingdom time for peak marketing strategy reasons. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a comprehensive ebook where uh, we have full detailed profiles on every single wrestler that steps foot in a New Japan ring over the course of the year. Uh, also, the the reviews of every single uh, New Japan show that airs on New Japan World over the course of the year. Essays, uh, detailed, geeky statistical analysis. Uh, the the book really dives deep. We do it every year, and the great thing about the book is it's name your own price. So uh, if you want to download it for free, go right ahead. If you want to throw us a couple bucks, uh, go right ahead. Uh, it'll be up on Amazon. On Amazon, there will be a set price. Um, I don't want to say what that price will be. Sometimes that that does fluctuate from year to year. Uh, but you can also download directly uh, from PayHip. And if you choose that option, you are free to pay us whatever you think we deserve or do not deserve uh, for the book. So there's always some great artwork, artwork in the book as well. So uh, if you've never checked them out, all of the previous editions, and I think we've done four of them to this point, are still available both on PayHip and on Amazon. If you you know just Google search it, it'll pop up. Uh, download one for free and see what it's all about. And if you think it's good, uh, consider uh, uh, paying for this year's. And if you think it stinks, uh, then disregard it and never read one again. But we think you'll like it if you give it a shot. Also, of course, check out VoiceTheWrestling.com and uh, listen to the flagship every week with myself and Rich Krejci and, uh, and give some of the other shows on our network a listen as well. We also have a Patreon page if you're a true dedicated fan of Voices of Wrestling and uh, one three-hour weekly show with myself and Rich is not enough. We do have bonus content, subscriber content on Patreon. There are several tiers to fit any budget and uh, any level of how much Joe and Rich that you really need in your life. So uh, check us out, search us on Patreon to get all the details and consider subscribing as well. Okay, and of course you can get eggshells pro wrestling in the Tokyo Dome, a perfect required uh, pre-wrestle kingdom reading for you um, from Amazon or you know other book selling places, or you can get to me directly at Reason JP for a copy as well. I still have a few kicking around. You, I need those off my hands. Should probably like take them with me to the Tokyo Dome and just uh, give them the passes by. I think. Um, and uh, yes, uh, not for not too many times, but for a couple of time still yet uh i'll chat to you next time thanks for listening bye